Hello, everyone. The Bible reading for today comes from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that the sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are the God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you this morning. Um, As uh, Melissa noted, we're doing things a little bit differently this morning, as you will have noticed. Uh, We haven't had confession yet. It's not because we've forgotten it. Uh, We're going to do that at the end. Uh, because I think it's a fitting application to what we're going to be talking about uh, today. Let's bow our heads and come to God uh, as we come to his word. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, that you speak to us through it. Um, Please still our hearts now and let us listen. Um, Help us apply it to our hearts. We pray that you would encourage us, rebuke us where you need to, Uh, and encourage us that you are a God who is full of uh, faithful love for us and because of that we can be confident in approaching you. In Jesus' name, amen. This last week I found myself riveted to the US election uh, and its aftermath. We've witnessed the spectacle of a president who hasn't been able to witness the truth uh, that he lost the election and is looking for every conceivable and inconceivable tactic to try to avoid the truth. 
But it's not just what's going on the circus that is the US is it, um, at, at this moment. Because if we are honest with ourselves, each of us, each one of us avoids the truth of who we really are. In the face that we put onto the outside world, showing the truth of who we really are, being honest and completely transparent towards others, opening ourselves up so that they can see our thoughts, our inner motives, what we really like, that's something that actually scares the willies out of us, isn't it? When I was in my third year at Sydney Uni, I spent a good deal of my time and energy trying to attract the attention of a good-looking girl in my Bible study by the name of Julie Robinson. And yes, it is the same Julie. Um, Inside, I was an insecure mess, but I couldn't let her see that. So instead, I put on this mask of bravado, acting like I didn't care what she thought of me wearing ridiculous combinations of clothes, trying to pretend that I was above worrying about fashion and my appearance and what others thought of me. I was incapable of being honest about who I was. We're all like that to different degrees, aren't we? And we're also like that with God. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that we fall far short of God's perfect standards. There are parts of our lives that we try to hide from God or ignore them and hope that he ignores them too. How can we stand up and face a God who demands that we always obey him? How can we, how can we face a God who demands that we always love our neighbour as ourselves? Well, that's a question that we're going to address today in Psalm 51. It's a psalm that shows us how we can pray for forgiveness. And it shows us how we can stand naked and exposed before a perfect God. And at the other side, to keep standing. In fact, to come out restored and healed. Psalm 51 shows us how we can face God when we sin. It shows us that we can be transparent and honest with him because we can have confidence in his mercy. And this psalm also shows us that confession needs to come from the heart. And with it, there needs to be a genuine desire for change. Now, I just forgot my clicker. As we go through the psalm, we'll see that there are four parts to David's prayer. And they will be our four points. Uh, Number one, David prays to be cleansed from his sin for it to be taken away, and he turns to God to have mercy on him as the means by which that will happen. Number two, he confesses his sin. Three, he prays for God for a change, a change of heart. And four, he asks God to restore him, to enjoy God and and to enjoy life once again. So that's where we're going. Let's get into it. So the first point is cleansing. David understands the awful truth of what he's done. The background of this psalm is that he has committed adultery with a woman called Bathsheba. Then he got word that he actually made her pregnant. To cover up his sin, David brought Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back from the battlefield to try to encourage him to spend the night with his wife and sleep with her and hopefully... 
uh, people will think that it's actually his baby and not David's. But Uriah doesn't change, doesn't play ball. He refuses to do that while his mates are still on the battlefield. David panics and he decides he needs to do away with Uriah. So he arranges so that Uriah is exposed to the enemy on the battlefield and makes sure that he will be killed in battle. David's sin of adultery is compounded by the most cowardly act of murder of an innocent man. Now, God doesn't leave David wondering whether he's uh, guilty or not because he sends his prophet Nathan to confront David with his sin, with what he's done. And this psalm is David's response after hearing this message from Nathan. David is shattered when he realises what he has done. He is desperate to undo his sin. Look at verse 1. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And then jump down to verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. It's a cry for forgiveness. But it's more than that, isn't it? Because David's sin is weighing him down. It's an unbearable burden that he can't carry. He is desperate for God not only to forgive his sin, but to take away the ugly horror that has scarred him and stained him and is now part of him. And so he wants God to wash it away. To use that heavy-duty soap, you know, that solvo, I think it's called, that, 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 that washes away grease that normal soap won't take away. He wants to completely take away that stain. And what David is saying is something that I think we can all identify with. We may not have murdered anyone, but there have been times when we've all done things that we, that, that we turn our heads in shame as we remember them. They might only be thoughts that we've had, or perhaps they are actions against other people, Perhaps there's something that people, other people are completely unaware of. But we can't hide it from ourselves, can we? And we realise with horror how capable we are all of evil. The desperate selfishness and ugliness. That's part of all of us. And in these moments we are desperate not only for God's forgiveness, but for him to take away that ugliness. That's part of us. Well, David goes on. He holds out a hope that seems to be misplaced, given the enormity of his crimes. Have a look at verse 7. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. How can David be whiter than snow? Somehow he seems to have a confidence that he's out of step with the reality of his situation. How can he be made pure again? How can a murderer possibly hope for that? Well, it's because David has a confidence that is based not on himself, but on God's mercy. And we see that in the first three lines of our psalm. So the first three lines of verse 1. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. It's significant that they're the first words of the psalm because they're the most important words of the psalm and they're the basis for everything else that follows. They are the foundation of everything that, that David prays for that comes after that. He knows that without God's love and mercy, he cannot face God. His prayer for cleansing for his sin would be hopelessly arrogant. David cries out for God's mercy and he knows that it's not just a desperate cry out to the heavens. He's confident that God will hear and answer his prayer based on the second line of the poem, according to your unfailing love. That term, unfailing love, is a common term used in the Old Testament based on the promise, the covenant that God has made with his people. Uh, if, you, if you know your Old Testament, remember back where God made a promise with Moses as he led them out of Egypt. He promised to be his people, for, for the Israelites to be his people. He promises to be with them and to save them, to give them a land of their own. He promises to be their God. God had a long track record of proving that faithful, faithful love to his people, not only in bringing them out to Egypt, he gave them the promised land, he blessed the people, he defeated their enemies. Time and time again, he proved his love and faithfulness to them. So David is confident in God's love. He is confident that God will forgive him to be merciful to him because he has constantly been uh, merciful and loving to him in the past. Perhaps this morning you're here wondering, can God forgive me? Maybe you're thinking, I've stuffed up so many times. God can't possibly keep being patient with me. Or maybe, no, 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 you don't, you don't understand what I've done. God can't forgive me. Or maybe you're not yet a Christian. Perhaps you feel like you can't face God because all your life you've been running away, turning away from him, deliberately giving God the flick. He can't possibly accept you. Well, if any of those things describe you, I want to say that this psalm is good news. Because if David could be confident of finding forgiveness and cleansing from God, we can have even more confidence. You see, David has shown, sorry, God has shown his unfailing love to us by sending his only son, Jesus, to go to the cross for you and I. That's how much he loves us. And he did that so you don't have to carry the burden of your sin. He's inviting us with open arms to find forgiveness in him and to let him wash the ugliness of that sin away so that we too can be whiter than snow. Second part, confession. David goes on to admit to God his sin. Because he is confident of God's unfailing love, 
towards him. He's not afraid to stand naked before God. He knows he can't hide from God anyway, so he can be completely honest and transparent to the one who knows every hair on his head, who knows him completely. Have a look at verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. David uses three different words to admit his wrongdoing. Transgression, sin and evil. It seems he does that to express just how deep his wrongdoing is. It's not just one little thing he did, but it seeped into his very being. It's part of who he is. It takes on many forms. It's complicated. It's a disease that is inextricably a part of him. And notice something else about what David says. Against you only have I sinned. But wait a minute, hasn't David committed adultery? Hasn't he just murdered the husband of Bathsheba? Ruined a marriage, murdered a man, and yet here he says that it's only against God that he sinned? Well, he's not literally saying that his sin has had no impact on Bathsheba or Uriah or their families. But he recognises that that sin and any sin is first and foremost against God. It's an act of rebellion against our Creator. Of course, sin often has consequences that affect other people, sometimes very drastically. But the biggest and most serious issue with any sin is that it's a crime against God. And David recognises this. And that what he needs to to deal with is his relationship with God as the top priority. David's prayer is a really helpful model for us when it comes to confession. There are two questions that come from this passage that we need to ask ourselves. One, are we being honest and transparent with God? Are we calling a spade a spade? when it comes to our sin. When I flare up in anger and say hurtful things, do I own up to what I did? Or do I try to shift the blame and say, I'm sorry God for getting angry, but, 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 but he pushed me over the edge. I was only reacting to what, to what he did. A good test of whether or not we, uh, we really repent of our sin is how honest are we in admitting it second question are we able to see that our sin is against God first and foremost or am I more concerned about being found out by others am I like King Saul who was more concerned about losing his reputation and losing face what others would think of him? Am I embarrassed by being shown out to be a cheat or to be emotionally abusing those under my care? Am I more concerned about losing face? 
with people than offending God. But any sin, big or small, is first and foremost a sin against God. And it's with God that we need to get things right. Third point, change. David moves on with his prayer. Having confessed his sin to God, he now prays for change. It's a prayer of repentance. Let's pick it up in verse 10. David says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He wants to do a U-turn in his life. Instead of rebelling against God, he wants to He wants a clean heart. He wants to turn sinners back to God. Have a look in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. He now wants to be used by God instead of going against God. Now it's very significant to notice here how David can change. Have a look back in verse 10. He says... He needs God to create in him a clean heart. That word create is the same word that we find back in Genesis when God created the world. It's actually a special word that is only used to describe what God does. It's different to English. In Hebrew, create is very different to what human beings do. In Hebrew, humans can't create. We can only make things. It's a different word in Hebrew. Only God can create. So what David is saying here is that he needs a work of God to change him, to create in him a new heart. He can't do that himself. He can't lift himself up by his own bootstraps. He can't just try harder, pray more, grit his teeth and make new resolutions. No, no. He needs God to change him, to create a new heart in him. Isn't that helpful for us to know? Isn't it good to know that when we sin, changing, repenting, it isn't isn't just up to us? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we know that left to ourselves, we can't change, can we? Oh, we can talk about new resolutions and grit our teeth and and be as determined as we like, but at the end of the day, we can't change ourselves. Oftentimes when I sin, I confess it to God, I know it's wrong, I don't want to do it, but I lack the strength in myself even to want to completely repent. Deep down we know that has to come from God. So it's a freeing thing to know that God is the only one who not only forgives us, but he is the only one who can give us a clean heart to create that in us and to bring about change. Later on in his prayer, David gives us a picture of what it looks like to change. What is it that God's looking for? He picks it up in verse 16. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not make pleasure take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart with you. You, O God, will not despise. God isn't interested in how we can prove 
that we want to change by how committed to we, to how committed to what we are or how, how hard we work. What God looks for is a heart that is broken and knows that God is the only one who can fix it. Point four, restoration. The last part of David's prayer that we're going to look at. Let's have a look at verse 12. David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He's praying for a restoration in his relationship with God. That he will once again enjoy his relationship with God. Instead of being racked by guilt and a feeling of alienation, he wants to be able to meet with God without bowing his head in shame. We've probably all experienced restoration uh, to, to some level on a, on a human level with relationships with other people, with a friend, with boyfriend, girlfriend, husband or wife, parents. The experience of going from feeling like there's a gulf the size of the Grand Canyon between your relationship where you can cut the air with a knife, of going from that to knowing that there's forgiveness and restoration in that relationship. It's a wonderful feeling, isn't it, when a relationship has been restored? To have those things between you that are now taken away. It's a wonderfully healing thing. And that's what God wants us to experience with him. To no longer feel ashamed. To no longer feel guilty. To not have to squirm in your seat when the word of God is read. God doesn't just begrudgingly forgive us and treat us like naughty children who are kind of on probation. He's the father of the parable. Do you know the parable of the lost son? When the son who has gone away from the father comes back to him and the father has been waiting, waiting, waiting for him to come back. As soon as he sees him on the horizon, he runs out to him with open arms and wraps his arms around him. That's like our father waiting to restore us. And restoration has another aspect to it as well. Have a look at verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. David is asking God here to be physically and spiritually restored as well. Again, there's a word joy. Notice how prominent joy is in the second half of this psalm. Just as he wants joy in his walk with God, he wants to live with joy as well. He wants even his crushed bones to rejoice. Sometimes, sometimes our sin can break our bones. Sometimes it can affect us physically as well as spiritually, it certainly affects us spiritually. Sometimes it can crush us under a burden of guilt, fear of being found out, fear of God, broken relationships. David cries out for his crushed bones to rejoice. 
See, restoration may not undo those broken bones. Maybe we'll keep carrying them around with us. But David cries out that from those, that, that those broken bones themselves, that they would be, jo- be joyful, rejoice, to find lightness and joy in place of the crushing weight of guilt. Now I want to finish off with this idea of joy because it captures God's heart for us. Each week at church we have a time of confession which we're going to go into shortly. We do that because we recognise how vital it is to regularly be honest and transparent with God in admitting our sin. But because we do it week by week, it can be easy for us to begin to lose the significance of it. You know, it can just become something we do without thinking too much about. It can roll off our tongues. Well, not at the moment because we can't say it, but it can kind of go from one ear out, out the other as we hear it prayed. It can be something we feel like we have to do to keep chugging along as a Christian. We tick that box. I've been to church, I've said confession, I've been to CG, etc., And confessing our sin isn't fire insurance either, is it? It isn't something that we do to make sure we escape God's anger. is isn't something we do because we've been naughty and we haven't owned up to it and we want to get out of it. No. David ends off with his theme of joy for a very good reason. God is longing for us. Not just that we will be forgiven. Yes, of course, it involves that. But more than that, that we'll live joyfully, delighting in who he is, delighting in our relationship with him, and for that joy to also overflow to each other. Uh, something we haven't got time to explore today, but is, of cru- but is crucial to the whole area of confession, and that is restoring our relationships with each other. Writing any wrongs we've caused to other people, that is a crucial part of confession as well. When we do that, when we do those things, restore our relationship with God and with each other, we begin to live as whole people again. Yes, we still carry around the effects of our sin, but with God's mercy, our broken bones can rejoice. As I said earlier, David understood that cleansing, forgiveness, restoration could all come about because God has shown himself to be full of unfailing love. We know that so much more fully, so much more wonderfully because God allowed his only son to have his body broken for us on that cross. He did that that for the joy that was set before him in accomplishing his Father's will. And because of that, we are able to experience the joy of a restored relationship with our Father. Well, let's respond to that with song. Song is always an appropriate way to respond to what God has done for us and his goodness to us. So I'll ask the band to come up. We'll 
Um, we'll sing a song and then after that we will say the confession together. In Luke 7, 36 to 39, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at, at the Pharisee's table. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw that, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. But we know the rest of the story. Despite all of our fears and all of our insecurities and all of our sins, God still loves us. For all that he has sacrificed for us, it is only natural for us as well to offer all that we have and to offer our alabaster heart. All that he wants is our heart. Can you read the first verse, please? Yeah. So here it is, Lord, my alabaster heart. I'm keeping nothing back from who you are. No hidden treasure veiled by key or lock because you're a lifetime worth of worship. There's a lifetime worth of worshiping 
the nuance of your name So let it rise, I can't sense my whole life A fragrance every ounce, here broken at your feet Every breath and offering my heart cries this long sing over you
fates And every breath is an offering My heart cries, these lungs sing over you My worthy King of Kings Thanks, Musos. That was, that was really helpful. A lovely song. Um, let's stay standing today as we say the confession. If we could have the words up of the confession. They're on the screen there. So have a, have a think about the words and then we'll say them together. The reason I want you to keep standing is that I want, you to, want us to have an attitude that we standing exposed, um, open, honest before God. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, being completely open with him about how this week has been. Um, so I will lead us in this prayer and uh, let's, let's pray it together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for adopting us as your children and making us heirs of eternal life. In your mercy, you have washed us from our sins and made us clean in your sight. Yet we still fail to love you as we should and serve you as we ought. Forgive us, Father, for our sins and renew us by your grace that we may continue to grow as members of Christ in whom alone is our salvation. Amen. Now, friends, we're still standing um, and I want us to reflect on the reality that as we stand now, we are able now, having confessed our sin, to stand in God's presence with confidence. Not because we are good or um, like goody that we heard in the kids' talk, but because... We can rely on God's mercy because of his steadfast love for us. Um, as we saw most, most wonderfully shown for us in Jesus and what he has done on the cross. And because of that, I want to, want to encourage you to have an attitude of that David expresses in verse 8 of seeking to hear joy and gladness, of letting the bones that, we, that may have been broken by our sin, but letting those bones rejoice because of the good news that we are clean in Christ Jesus. Amen. Um, I'm going to ask Mel to come up and give us the blessing. Thank you so much, Pastor Marshall, for encouraging us through God's word of truth. May God give us his peace and absolute assurance that when we have confessed all our sins to him, he will certainly purify us from our sins. He will create in us a clean heart, a new heart, and restore to us the complete joy of our salvation. 
through faith in Christ Jesus. I do pray that God has encouraged us through this service today, through the Holy Spirit, that He has touched our hearts in some very deep and personal ways to continue to trust Him. Please feel free to stay back to pray with our pastor if you wish, or if you have any question regarding today's sermon. I'd like to conclude the worship service this morning and pray God's blessing upon us. May the love of the Lord Jesus draw you to Himself. The power of the Lord Jesus strengthen you in His service. The joy of the Lord fills your hearts. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Please take a seat. Thanks for worshipping with us and hope you can join us again next Sunday. Sorry, before you um, uh, all shoot off, um, just firstly, wasn't that a, a wonderful word from God? And what a beautiful moment. And thank you, Ben. That was a great song. Um, I just wanted to, just for the AGM, um, because people will be joining us online, we want to start uh, on time uh, at one o'clock. So if you're a partner and you're planning to stay behind and be able to join in person, uh, can I encourage you, uh, I think we've got maybe about 40 minutes before we start, um, if you can't wait to eat lunch, um, can I encourage you to either, you know, arrange for someone to grab lunch for lots of you or uh, basically try and eat before one o'clock. And uh, we are going to avoid eating in here. Um, there's no real COVID rules around that, apart from sharing food. But the main thing is the more that people are eating here, the more, tr the more cleaning has to happen. Um, and on top of, you know, groups having to clean already, you know, wiping down chairs and stuff, it's a lot easier if there's just not food crumbs and everywhere. So um, that kind of maybe puts a little bit more pressure on you if you're really going to be hungry to eat uh, and be ready to come back by one o'clock. But if you could do that, it'd be really helpful, especially for those online. Um, you can also wait till afterwards to eat, especially if you want to go out with a group of friends. Uh, I'm thinking it'll be a short meeting. I think it will be. So let's see how we go. But really, we could be finished, you know, by 1.30, quarter to two. So anyway, just to let you know, and hopefully you can stay behind and join us for the meeting or online if you really must. All right, thanks.